0: new black nation your political digest with a black conservative twist
1: hello everyone this is gregory victorian
0: and i'm brandon
1: wang we want to welcome you to another podcast um, of new black nation um i hope you guys had you know enjoy um, what you have been hearing so far so our topic today is is well. I'm gonna pose um, this question to Brandon. Is the United States is a true? Do you believe is a truly um, democracy or a dictatorship? Mm,
0: that is such a packed question. I'll say a very packed question <laughs> because. To me, I mean, in a lot of senses, um, we're perhaps less authoritarian than, you know, other regimes, say, like, you know, maybe Cuba or North Korea or um, maybe some other interesting ones. Um, Sometimes Russia, sometimes China, they go back and forth with each other. So I feel like perhaps we're a little bit better than they are, but. I think the important question here to ask is that it, you know is the system is the system conducive to the maximum amount of democracy that it should have in the world and my answer to that question would be a simple no um because there are a lot more countries in the world today that are a lot more democratic and a lot, a lot more democracy focused um, than we are in the United States.
1: OK, so you use Russia, you use um, North Korea. What is it that you think they're doing and our view that they should not be doing that we're not doing here?
0: Um, So, for example, um, if we're using North Korea, North Korea is like probably the most extreme example of authoritarian regimes um, and very communist centric uh, uh, regimes. Um, But, um, for example, let's use, okay, let's use China because I think it's a better comparison, right, because there's certainly not a North Korea um, so I think that's a lot easier to compare. Also, in terms of economically, we're quite similar with China. Um, and we have certain things that are aligned and in, in, in at least to a certain degree of capitalism, I guess it exists. But to compare the two countries, for example, um, in China, right? Um, you can you, you have a lot of freedom, right? You have a lot of freedom, you really don't have enough choice, right, as it relates to the government. So I definitely wouldn't say that they're a democracy. I would definitely say they have certain freedoms um that I wish we had here, um, which was like, for example, in China, if I want to start a um, you know, start selling food on the street, then I can just pick up one day and get a cart and you know, go about my business and and start a business, you know? And if I make over a certain amount of money, then I need to report it to the government. You know, same thing applies for like virtually anything. Like, you know, you if you wanna do a side hustle, a side business, you wanna start making some money for yourself and take it to your own hands and like, you know, become a little bit more well-off or at least sustain a, a living wage for yourself, you have every opportunity to do that. But in America, I feel like we're bombarded with restriction after restriction after regulation after regulation. And before we even attempt to start the business, we're already discouraged from doing so or have bankrupted ourselves in the process of trying to get a business and trying to make a a, a certain uh, lifestyle for ourselves. So that's one example. (laughs)
1: Well, one one other thing that you say that I agree with, um, China do um, get involved um, with helping people to um, well, they encourage people to do businesses. Uh, but one um, one thing though, um, you know, we criticize China a lot and a lot of things that they do. Um, we criticize Russia, we criticize um, um, Cuba. You know, of how they treat their people, or you know, uh, they are dictating this, they are dictating that. But I, I don't, I, I don't really see much of the difference between us here versus them, because we're just pointing fingers. But if you really look at what's going on, how how better off are we? Mm,
0: that's a very interesting. Uh, that's a very interesting question. One thing. Um, As pushback, most certainly, and one thing I can definitely notice for some people is that I think that um, if you're looking at the differences for, you know, again, using China and the United States or let's say Russia in the United States, um, we certainly don't have as many people, um, you know, in kind of like re-education camps, let's say, like re-education camps aren't really a thing. Um, You know, like, for example, a lot of people bring up the the Uyghur situation um, and they say that, you know, because of the Uyghurs in Western China are kind of like um, persecuted um, because, you know, they're Muslim or they're not conforming to like Chinese culture or style um, that, you know, that makes it really difficult. And perhaps that isn't something that we'd see um, happening in America, Um, but also to be my own devil's advocate. Some people can say the way we treat the poor is really bad, or the way we treat um, certain organizations that don't participate in the status quo, um, we don't treat them in in a very good light. So, for example, if I were to um, go against uh, corporate interests, right, and corporate cronyism, you know, we may not have a state-sanctioned, um, mob or um, agent to remove us or, or or kill us, but we certainly could have a mercenary come in and kill us if we're talking about things that, you know, just don't suit the status quo agenda of the elite.
1: Yeah, the same way they killed John F.K. Uh, John, John Kennedy. Yeah, and Abraham <laughs>
0: Lincoln and, you know, a lot of other, you know, interesting That's thought-provoking um, citizens.
1: So, okay, then, then, you know, then it's fair to say that, you know, we operate under fear. Because, you know, uh, one example, right, and you just said it, Um, you know, there are a few people, a few celebrities that support Trump. Number one, half of them cannot come out and say that they're supporting Donald Trump. The the part that did came out and said they support him, the media went after them like there's no tomorrow. So you know we we treat the the middle class and the poor class like you know, I don't want to say like shit, but that's basically how you know how the system treats us. so you know, we here, and you know they're turning us against Cuba, they're turning us against russia um um Russia, they're turning us against um the Chinese, and I'm like saying to myself, well, You know different than them. And in terms of structure, we know Russia is um, Vladimir Putin. Um, We know um, Cuba is Fidel Castro family. Don't you think this country do have a family structure and not only in politics, but in the media? Because if you look at the family tree that they have, and you go back to everybody, um, you know, from Fox News or CNN, MSNBC, their father was a journalist. They are a journalist. Their father was a councilman. They are a So it's like a family tree system that's going on, and they're not letting nobody else in. So regardless if someone leaves office, if I leave office, I don't care because my son is going to take over. So it's the same policy that moves forward.
0: Yeah, there definitely is um an issue with dynasties and um certainly um we kind of have that hierarchical structure or oligarchy, you know, um bureaucrat lifestyle that you know we we similarly see in a lot of these uh kind of um, more authoritarian countries. Um and you bring up a good point and I find it very interesting and and the the most interesting thing about it is that it wasn't always like that. You know, our founding fathers, you know, really kind of set against that, you know, they really wanted, you know, the representatives um, or civil servants who were there to serve the people and serve the sovereign, which is the American people in general, they wanted them to be very close to home. You know, they wanted them to understand their constituency and they wanted them to be able to govern um, with a really good knowledge of how to make policy and policy that actually works for their local constituency but over time we, you know we became more um more and more bureaucratic more and more oligarchy and you know kind of dynasty um supreme and 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 I think that takes and robs our country of the democratic principles that we've kind of been raised on and founded on.
1: Does Democrat, uh, I mean, does the, do you think the system really works well in this country?
0: Um, I don't think it works well in this country um, because it doesn't really give a lot of other people a chance
1: so if, um, you would choice, if you have a if you had a choice to change something, what would you you know what what would you change um in in the system the way it is right now to improve in it?
0: Um a hundred percent what I would do is I would uh like ninety percent deregulate um business and I keep a small ten percent. Um I I keep a small 10% there because, you know, there's of course some things that we do have to curtail business on to ensure that it's not like absolute anarchy or we're close to the system where we are now with this, an intense level of crony capitalism. So definitely the first step would be to, um, deregulate business 90%. um, and that will ensure that people have a fighting chance, like a true fighting chance to move forward, because there used to be a time where, you know, a small town, you know, kind of business owner or shop owner, you know, could, could start out with one shop. Right. And then maybe they'll grow into a couple more shops and then those shops will maybe grow into a corporate empire. Um, And he can just he or she could do that on their own will, you know, without having to have a big business come in and support their business. They can just, you know, grow consistently. But now with the amount of regulations and taxes and everything that, you know, their businesses are required to jump through just to exist makes it nearly impossible for small business owners to really grow um, unless they have one of those kind of hierarchical uh, families with with a lot of money to kind of donate to their cause, but perhaps not everyone wants to do that. Maybe not everyone wants to work with, um, you know, a huge conglomerate or, you know, one of the dynasties, right? And and get take their money. Maybe they just want to own their own business and they want to be successful in their own business or they want to get together with a couple of other um, regular Americans. But I, I just don't feel that with the systems that we have in place um, and all of the regulations we have in place, that that actually can happen.
1: Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it could happen either because there is too much regulation. Um, people don't even want to stop business in this country because of the stress um, that um, it causes them. You know, um, but like you say, you know, the system is designed to discourage people from moving forward. What is it that you think Russia is doing um, different um, with the US, and why do we cl- uh, classify them as uh, a threat? When let me clarify that: when we have, you know, um, a defense system, and I, I believe every country should have a defense system because that's how they stay relevant. Because those that do not have the defense system. We see what happened to them. So, you know, the ones that- eaten are eaten up by the
0: bigger countries.
1: Exactly. So, you know, the ones that do have the defense and, you know, they, they know their history. That's why they're putting up those defense. Why, why do we view them as a threat? What is it that they're doing wrong that we're not doing wrong? Um, you know, uh, we're doing different than them.
0: Well, I think that's a really good question and I'm glad you asked that. Um, and I definitely think I can shed some light on that. Mm-hmm. Um, while I agree that, you know, countries should be allowed to certainly protect themselves and there should be a safeguard in, in place to ensure that no one is taken over, you know, whether they're a little fish or a big fish or a medium fish. Um, I think everybody should have a viable chance to. Move forward, they have to have viable access, and it's the same way that I look at you know the American people as it as it pertains to this business topic, um, of you know making sure that they have equal access. It's not that everybody is equal. We know that everybody is going to be uh, uh, there's going to be inequalities. It's just bound to happen. You know, you can't make every single person 100% equal, right? Um, there, But you can give everyone 100% equal access um, or ability to access something. Um, and, but to get more specifically to answering your specific question of what do we, what do I think that Russia is doing that you know, differently from the United States that makes them so bad when they want to defend themselves and things like that. I would say, you know, Russia, they already have nuclear weapons, so they're able to uh, defend themselves. So I think the better country to look at would be a country that's like North Korea, a country that may be like Libya, or a country that may be like I don't know, South Sudan or Iraq, one of those kind of countries. And the best way that I can um, answer that question and say why we can't allow them to uh, defend themselves is the simple fact that a lot of the structures that they have in place are not as advanced and as sedentary as the policies and fail safes that are in place in larger countries like Russia or China or United States, right? Because if you're looking at those top three countries, right, they're all in a security council, um, Russia, China, um, U S, um, those are, um, three major players in there. Um, you also have UK of course, and you know, the whole drill. So, but the major players there are those three countries and what is unique amongst all those three countries. Right. And, um, What's unique about it is that they have an ability, a proven ability, over the course of a significant amount of time, at least a century or or if not more, of being able to defend their system and to ensure that anarchy won't take over. But when we look at a country like Iraq or a country like South Sudan um, or any uh, one of those smaller countries or North Korea is is a special example of this or even a Cuba you know, we, we're we not so sure that their government can last the test of time. And if, let's say, they're taking over, right? Like, for example, for a short period of time, we had ISIS take over in um, Iraq and in Syria, right? So let's say that, you know, ISIS takes over Syria because they don't have good security management or they don't have the funding to protect themselves appropriately let's say they overthrow the government, then, well, you now have ISIS in control of nuclear weapons. And if you have an organization that's willing to, like ISIS, that's willing to kill themselves, you know, to make sure that their jihad happens, then that's really dangerous.
1: I'm going to push back on that. ISIS was started under the the Obama presidency after... President Bush remove um, Saddam Hussein. Um, that you know they they the one that caused the problem because before when Saddam was there has bad has the claim he was number one he did not have nuclear weapon number two there was no ISIS right again. Gaddafi was removed and as soon as they killed Gaddafi, ISIS took over. So I feel like. Whenever we go in these countries, we remove the leaders, the current leaders that's in this country, and we kill them. Um, those other group take over and they start killing innocent people, innocent women, children. And I feel like in a large part, we're responsible because I feel like the U.S. is using those groups for their own interests because if the state or the city is a failed country, who benefits from
0: it? The U.S. does. Well, the U.S. would benefit from a failed state as um, so long as they don't have access to nuclear weapons. But then if they have access to nuclear weapons, then the U.S. would not benefit from a failed state because a failed state might mean that some bad actors have access to nuclear arms and can possibly send out an attack on the world and kill us all.
1: But let me, let me ask you, um, uh, um, Gaddafi, did he have nuclear weapon?
0: Um, no, Qaddafi in this case did not have nuclear weapons.
1: So why was he a threat to the U.S.?
0: Uh, he was a threat to the U.S. because he wanted to create his own currency and he wanted Libya to actually take control of their own oil uh, exactly. production.
1: Exactly. So here's my point, right? Us as African Americans, we're being mistreated because of racism. And I feel the same way we're being oppressed here, we're oppressing our brothers and sisters across the sea, and we don't speak much about it because you know we here we're comfortable, but if you if you put yourself in their shoes, and you see all those killings, why are they doing what they're doing? They're being oppressed, you understand? And if, 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 if Russia was um, had a democracy like we did here, I guarantee you Russia would have been working on behalf of the United States, any other country. If they're not under dictator, the U.S. control them. And this is why I feel like the U.S. is trying to change this um, regime. It's not because they want those places to be successful. It's because they want to control those places. Because every example that I could give you, where the U.S. goes in and we move one of those um, so-called um, leaders, um, you know, that's killing people, ISIS or a different group take over and they dominate this, um, the, the 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 area. Mm-hmm.
0: No, absolutely. I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, definitely, um, that is very much the system, um, and it's a, and it's how generally any empire has worked, right? So, you're only as good, and we only give you as much independence as um, we allow you to have, because at the at the heart of the empire is the Rome, right? And then in in this case, the Rome is the United States, and particularly, you know, the very wealthy kind of elite that need to get, you know, their business proposals through and contracts and and gain more wealth. And for every other country, we'll allow you to take some of the squabbles of what we get, you know, being the Rome, right, the center of the empire. Um, But at the same time, you you really have to follow in on what we say, you know, and it's do as I say and not as I do, right? Um, that's the whole mentality of an empirical kind of empire. Um, and and when I when I say that, I totally understand where you're coming from. Where. Um, you know, it's pretty tough. And and we one could say that because of all of the crap that, you know, our CIA or, you know, certain uh, military officials or, or public policy that we've used in certain countries and the destabilization of of nations, states um, and the, you know, making rulers I- illegitimate and interfering in all these things that the United States has, has done over the course of our history. Um, could contribute to you know, radical groups like ISIS or um, just contribute to countries in general um, retaliating against America. Um, but when we look at our history as a people, um, you'll see a very common theme that this always happens in one way or another. So if it's not the United States doing it, then it would be another country doing it, right? So the name of the game for all of the players on the chessboard is to win, you know, and, you know, conquer before you get conquered yourself. So you're only as good as as you're you're willing to play, you know, and you're only as good as your last few moves, you know. And that's why the United States kind of has to stay resilient and to, um, you know, be very aggressive or hegemonic. When it relates to the rest of the countries, because they know that if it's not the United States, it would be China, or it would be Russia, or it would be any other superpower that decides they want to um, have a larger stake on the world stage.
1: Well, it's just a matter of time before China takes over, um, and that
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. Um, definitely, we need to keep an eye on China because China is definitely. Um, you know, moving very fast and they definitely have a lot of resources and money um, to back all of the projects. And because they don't have the same standard um, and to which they benefit the people um, or give money to the people or use GDP, um, you know, to spread out amongst the the 1 billion plus people, um, there could be a, a big issue, especially if they're, you know, revamping their military, they're doing more in space. Um. Yeah, they could definitely be a big threat, and that, and that's why I always say you 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 have to have one eye closed and one eye open with China because you just never know what their plan of attack is going to be. And you know, for centuries they have watched you know, a war after war in their own country, or they've constantly been through this area of being the center of the world in terms of trade, etc., and influence to being completely nothing back to. Going back to a superpower. So, I definitely think that they want to place at the table. Um, the question is, how much of that pie do they want? You know, do they just want to be um, the major hegemony um, for Asia or do they want to control the world? Um, and the United States has to respond to something like that because it's either, you know, eat or get eaten,
1: you know? Uh, how, how do you how do you respond when you're giving them all the jobs from here? Um, China just built a stadium in Africa. China just built a uh, a port in Africa, and those loans, if Africans cannot pay it back, yeah, China which won't. most
0: likely they cannot. They'll take their seaports and you know, exactly. vital natural resources.
1: Exactly. So now we have countries. I was watching a documentary, countries, other other leaders, they said they would prefer to do business with China versus the U.S. because China go through with their words versus the United States. That's a problem because if other countries are saying, hey, we don't trust you, you lie to us. And China is like, hey, we're going to do what we say we're going to do and we're going to come through for you. It's just a matter of time before China takes over, and I and I and I believe a hundred percent they're gonna be in every country. Their plan is to have uh, um, a place in every country, just like the U.S. does. They, they're trying to um, level the field with the um, with the, um, the U.S.
0: influence, right? No, definitely a hundred percent. We've constantly been in a race against each other, which is why I still find it very perplexing that we keep outsourcing jobs to china um clearly um china wants to be a major competitor if not surpass the united states um and we can't take that lightly right um because you know it's really important for the the us if they want to maintain relevance that they really shore up um with these with their allies and really start to you know shore up and actually, uh, you know, follow through on their commitments. Um, the, the you know, Kurds is one big example of, you know, how Americans have a tendency to renege on their deals. You know, when the ISIS, you know, we, I feel like we couldn't have defeated ISIS without the Kurds. Um, and I know, you know, Turkey <laughs> despises the Kurds um, and they call them a ter- terrorist group and things like that. And, you know, I'm not going to, chime in on that because that's not my area of expertise. But what I will say is that if we did not have the Kurds there, we it would have been very hard for us to see us see a, um, a massive defeat of ISIS. And after their help, you know, they wanted us to, you know, reciprocate and, you know, add some help for them and help them to, you know, claim back some land. But we completely, you know, after they did their job, just like we've done on several other occasions, probably about three, four, five, six times to them over the course of history, um, have kind of just screwed them over. And countries see that, you know, and countries like Africa, see, you know, that America says they want to come in and do some good. But in actuality, they're just kind of pillaging or using them for um uh, test studies, you know, so they can like see about vaccines and see what what works for them and it ends up killing their populations and things like that, you know, and on top of that, they also want to tell them that the way that their their culture and their society is not in line with the Western value and that they should change their culture. You know, China, you brought up a good point. Africa is saying, well, I think we'd rather work with China because China will give us the resources that we're looking for or the infrastructure we're looking for. But at the same time, where we might be indebted to China at the same time, we won't have to worry about China trying to control our internal affairs. Like we know who we are as a people um, will constantly be the norm and the status quo. But with the United States, they give you a little bit and then they also expect a, a ton from you in return. So they're going to have to find some kind of equilibrium um, between the two worlds. Because if they don't, like you said, China will take over. And um, it will be a very interesting place um, with China as the helm of the influence chart.
1: I think China and everything that they do, they're trying to build relationship. And they're trying to have partnership and they're not trying to really rule and dictate um the leaders of those countries versus what the US does with them. My other question, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think Africa should be one of the um elite country uh, um um around the globe? Well, because we have Africa, the Chinese because right. Africa we hmm. have the US, yep. We have um, uh, Russia. Don't you think Africa should be one of those numbers?
0: Yeah, they say very much uh, they they very much should be. Um, yeah, we I mean we have you know um, we definitely have a ton of different powers all over the place, and you know we don't really have a large influence coming in from Africa, and that's definitely something that has to be addressed. And I think again going into the, what the Chinese are doing a little bit better than you the u.s is doing is that china is coming in and saying well look this is how we became successful this is what we did to um shore up our cities and and change the trajectory of our people um so please feel free to come in and have a look you know china even though there was a couple of social issues going on um in the south allowed um You know, massive amounts of Africans to come to the southern part of China to see their operation and to see like how their cities are and how they manage um, the government. They didn't tell them to do anything specific, but the Africans that came there went and said, look, this seems like a good model that we can um, we can um, work with. And, you know, we'd like to learn from you. And not only did China allow Africans to come to their their country and learn about what they do and how they do it, um, you know, through all sorts of scholarships and things like that, they've also gone back and invested into Africa. And granted, like we said, yeah, of course, they're going to want to kick back from it. They're going to want to have, you know, port rights or natural resources and things like that. But at the very least, at least they're helping the Africans become somewhat independent and, you know, build up their cities, whereas the United States is really just kind of saying, here, let's give you some handouts, like it's the general welfare um, strategy, right, from the Democrats, you know, that says, let's just keep giving you money, let's keep throwing you money, and, you know, we're not going to do anything to help you be independent and to help you thrive, you know, as as your own nation state.
1: I think... I think um, you're right. Um, and this is why China is going to become so successful in everything that they're doing. They're not giving you the money and then put a rope around your neck. They're giving it to you so you could become successful. And the good thing with them, if you have a, if they have a construction project in your country, they work with local construction people to teach them what they're doing, And which I thought that was very interesting because um, you know, you could say, "Oh, you know, they have um, some kind of uh, um, interest." But look what, look, look how they approaching um, this situation. They didn't just come and say, "Oh, only my people is going to be doing this." No, they work with the countries. They work with the local uh, construction companies. They build the things together. They teach them how they do things. The U.S. have not done that. The only only field the U.S. um, work with other countries like that um, is in um, the the army. You know, showing them how to fight or how to kill. Mm -hmm. But for them to move forward in life, because once you leave, they have to be able to do it for themselves. They have to be able to run it for themselves. So if you come in and you just do everything and then you walk away, who's gonna maintain the project?
0: Right, no, that's true. And it, it, it very much so it's been, you know, uh, give if it's been a give a fish policy uh, from the United States. And that's the major stark difference between, um, you know, China and the US. You know, there's a different philosophy in the way they move forward. Um, one thing I will definitely say, though, in terms uh, you know, in terms of it relating to China is that China kind of has a, a, a issue to subside against. And that issue specifically is um, the fact that China cannot um, appease people or, 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 or get Gain the trust from people, and I think they've been really struggling with that because you had certain things like, for example, the Belt Road Initiative, one one belt one road initiative, um, and that was their attempt to, and it's still in motion, but it's it's facing some issues or some hiccups. Um, but the one belt uh, Enrolled road initiative is basically saying, um, let's revive the Silk Road and you know really put. Things back to, back into perspective where China is the center, you know, exporting goods out to the entire world through a massive network of uh, trainings and pathways. And, you know, let's bend back towards China. But you see in countries like Malaysia or Indonesia and other places in ASEAN, for example, they're really just like, oh, well, I don't know how much we trust China to do this or they're having a problem with it because, you know, they're a bit afraid of China, you know, being hegemonic and they're afraid of China kind of leading the way in Asia, right? Because they just are not sure what to expect from, uh, of what to expect from China. Like they feel China will be nice right now, but would they continue to be nice or will they just try to gain total control? and you know no one can really answer that question only time will tell but nevertheless china will have to move beyond that stereotype and move and really re- reassure the people that they're working with that they can in fact you know be an ally and in a very good strategic partner with them i think they're trying to do that but time still will tell if people will really put their trust into China.
1: What do you say when you hear the media, people say this is the best country where someone could do, you could come to hard work, it could be anything that you wanna be and work and be successful earlier, when you just say China gave people more chances and opportunity to start any kind of business uh, without regulation, how do you see this in your view? Um,
0: can you rephrase the question?
1: I say, how do you see this? Right, uh, we say in this country, if you work hard, you know, you you could accomplish great things, you know, um, you, um, through hard work. And we see all the regulation that they put on you to start a business, and in China where they don't have none of those regulations for anyone to start a business. It's easier for them to start businesses there and become successful. And we could see it because there's a lot of, uh, especially tech company in China that's very successful, is because they were able to start small and now they grew to become a big thing.
0: Right. And they also get some help from the Communist Party because, I mean, one mandate that China does have, though, is that the communist party has to um have a um a setup within the business so there has to be a certain percentage of the business that kind of goes to the to the communist party like as you get bigger you know there are some um restrictions but those restrictions are not really to um stop you from starting the business it's just a position where there's a better outcome for the Communist Party to watch what's going on to ensure that you're not trying to overthrow the regime. Um, Because we all know, obviously, that is a big no-no in China. Um, So it's an interesting kind of concept. But nevertheless, I think people still have every opportunity to, you know, build a business and do what they have to do, very much like how we used to be in the United States. And, you know, that's just a clear sign that shows you that capitalism is, um, you know, is a great system, and capitalism can help, you know, um, revive nations and, and, and put people back to work and get people productive, because um, China is one of the best examples of that. Um, we see a lot of nations popping up that are, you know, being more capitalistic than, than we have been in decades, and it's it's it, it's upsetting to see that and it's upsetting to travel around and and see that there are countries despite being whether they're totalitarian authoritarian whatever you want to call it some mix in between but you know that they're showing more signs of progressive capitalism and, and common sense capitalism and it's a uh, somewhat purest form um and and it, it, it's upsetting and i'm really hoping that we can make a change in america um because with the crony capitalism we have and the kind of dynasties and oligarchies as we started talking about in the beginning um it's really hard to say that you know we're very you know democracy forward and we're very you know access friendly um because it's not really the case as much anymore. And I hope we can get back to a place that's like that. And I don't know how we're going to get back to a place like that. I mean, I guess that's a question that I can pose back to you. What do you think we can do to get us back to our kind of original roots of pure capitalism?
1: First thing we have to do, we have to remove the the old dinosaurs out of office, because they are the problem. (laughs)
0: Um, amen <laughs> you know,
1: they 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 don't want to pose the problem to us right now we have a lot of young intelligent people um that's eager um to take uh you know a chance in politics but you know they're being black and every everywhere they turn you know they are being black because why they can shape the system the system is too strong for them to shape um uh, you know so once we get rid of these people or you know or they die out, because let's face it, they don't die easily. That's another problem that I see with politics in this country. Those politicians don't die easily at all. Like, they live forever. So, <laughs> and um, it, it's just troubled me to see, we talk about these countries, and we have people here dying in power. That's sad. How is it that you're opening the door when you're dying in your position, and you're talking about other countries? You're doing the same thing. People should not be dying. Our politicians should not be dying in their position. There should be a time for them to retire, like everybody else. Yeah, this is give not some a chances forever. to
0: some young blood.
1: Exactly. So this system is, uh, you know, is a forever position. Once they're in it. They can't come out. They're not going to get out. They have to die. And that's the problem that we have in, which is why we cannot get any new blood into the system to see what they have to offer. We can't even get a third party in the system uh, because they're all still there and they're all uh, protecting the system that's working well for them right now. So until we get these people out of office, I don't think any, any, anything big really going to happen. Yeah.
0: Um, and and the sad part about it is that, you know, in order to make that change, it's it's gonna be up to the American people to do so. And the particularly the American electorate that comes out and votes. And and the unfortunate situation is that, you know, we still don't have enough people who are really, you know, a hundred percent on board and supporting, you know, a third party or a fourth party. Um and we have a lot of these people who are just not engaged at all, civically. Like, I mean, I've had a couple of people come up, you know, in conversation with me and say, you know, Brandon, did you know that we had our own sort of Congress or uh, House of Representatives in New Jersey? Like, did you know that we had a state legislator of our own? I said, yeah, of course. Who do you think works with the governor?" And they said, well, no, I just thought that the governor, you know, makes the policies and he or she has, you know, their assistance to work with them or, you know, and putting forth the policies. And I said, no, every single state has a state legislator, and they're the ones who are making the laws for their for the, your respective state. And each of those states also have their own constitution, just like we have a national or federal oh, constitution.
1: You laws.
0: What was that? Oh yeah, so were you. Can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, I could hear you now.
0: But yeah, but they, but um, they you know, yeah, so, but how do you feel about it? I mean, I was just baffled because I said, you really don't know that we have our own state legislator and filled with senators and and representatives and two chambers you know just like we would in congress i was very shocked that they had no idea that that even existed
1: well there's one thing that this country is is good in doing is keeping people mind and um occupied with nonsense people don't have time to do their research and people don't don't have time to know who they're voting for they just know oh. I'm a Democrat, I have to go vote Democrat, or I'm a Republican, I have to go vote Republican. No one takes the time to do their research because time has been robbed from the American people. And a lot of other people, they're just fed up with politics. They just, you know, um, give up on it because um, everything that they try and every time they go and vote for someone, the person turns out to do something different or become someone that they did not expect it. So uh, there's a lot of discouragement in that sense. Um, I I do think the country is ready for a third party. I do think they are thirsty for a third party. I just think that they need to know the benefit of having a third party. Um, And I know we discussed that, um, I think, yesterday. But if they know about the benefit, what it could do, for them and what it could force those other two parties to do, I think more people would be um, um, involved in pushing for a third party.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, You know, it's unfortunate that we don't have enough um, drive from, like, libertarian parties or green parties to kind of push things more to the fore. Uh, the forefront, because, you know, as we mentioned in our last episode, like, I feel we feel like they kind of are, you know, just sleeping, you know, and they're just like an, an almost an arm for the Republican and Democratic Party, respectively, because they don't want a real challenger in, the, in a really good third party. Um And I think, like, we always point back to media is just really good at manipulating people. And they've been very good at making people think that you know, a third party has no chance, but the, a third party has all the chance in the world um, if presented correctly. Um, but what's required to really get him off the ground and moving is a very strong grassroots movement. And though that grassroots movement has to really do its best to get in the homes of people and the working places of the people and the religious institutions of the people. To really kind of spread this message of solidarity and spread the, you know, awareness that we want something more. Every single American wants something more. I haven't met an American that has said, you know, I'm completely fine with, you know, the way things are right now. And that's under rulership from both parties. So clearly there's a need for a renaissance and there's a need for you know, a difference in persuasion on the political stage. And I'm really hoping that um, we can work more productively on making
1: that happen. I know you disagree with me before. Um, I think, right, if there was um, a chance right now to push for for a third party, you know, I really believe the uh, Black Lives Matter, if they were not political, if, if they were not uh, in party line, they could have stopped that conversation because what, what we saw for the past you know few weeks, uh, you know, government official nailing down, government official, you know, saying let's defund this, let's defund that, you know, it, 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 if, if they were really serious and then they'd be like, okay, you know what? We don't want the support of the Democratic Party. We do not want the support of the Republican Party. We want to be recognized as a party. Regardless if we agree with them or not, I think something could have happened then. Yeah, But, but because of it when... Yeah. yeah, so okay. go ahead. What do you think?
0: No, because I think, I, you know... Um, Like more with most organizations, you know, people infiltrate the organization, and they basically create a a, a campaign of disinformation. And, you know, they they make a certain group of people lean towards a a certain way, and it may not have been the original intentions, you know, of the organization. But also Black Lives Matter in general, I, I felt, you know, was just not organized enough for me particularly. And I think the message really kind of went all over the place um, and they didn't do a great job at taking back the narrative um, and sticking to the principles that they really uh, kind of stuck with and that they cared about Black lives, you know, Black lives generally. Um, and they yeah. want to make sure that Black lives are are taken care of on a regular basis. And, you know, it's multiple problems that that happen with that. And it's unfortunate because they could have had a vibrant kind of, you know, African-American party um, that was really geared towards some real issues that the African-American community may face, but it did get yeah. to happen.
1: Yeah, I think they were hijacked just like the Libertarian Party was hijacked by those politicians because every any change that they have right now is out the window. Um, They're
0: they're 100% Marxist, socialists, kind of crazy all over the place, trans rights, whatever it is. I mean, they're really all over the place. You really don't know what exactly is their MO, you know, at at, at this state in time. And it's unfortunate their message has really gone by the wayside, but um, it's going to have to be something else. And I think strategically, organizations and people who are thinking about doing a third party are really going to have to think about how they can, do some countermeasures for the disinformation campaigns, and you know, and the people who just want to basically, you know, trash a movement and completely dilute it so that people will not sign on. Um, but I'm very interested to see all of this, and 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 perhaps you know, this is maybe something we can talk about in the next episode. Um, we'll see. Um, but we're definitely coming up to our um, our time. Um, but I think it was a really good discussion. Um, but if you had perhaps maybe one thing to say, um, in relation to specifically this topic, you know, circling back to our original point of, you know, is America more of a dictatorship today or more democratic? How would you sum that up?
1: Well, I think like you said earlier, right, um, I don't think we're where we need to be. Um, I don't think, um, uh, I think freedom um, that we have is a state of mind. Um, It's not real um, the way it should be. So, um, you know, I just hope, you know, one day we do come um, to be um, a democratic society. I do hope that, you know, Uh, people will be able to start businesses without going through all these channels. You know, I do hope, you know, people um, respect one another regardless of where they're from or what religion they are or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I feel like our system right now is dividing the country into two and there's no uh, uh, common ground so for all our listeners uh we do want you guys to email us questions um you know we want you guys to support us uh, we want you guys to join the conversation and give us your feedback and give us your opinion what do you think um, if you have questions that you would like for us to answer you could always email us uh, we need to have these conversations um, people in our community needs to uh, understand what's going on and you know how we're being affected when certain laws goes through. I don't think none of these things are being discussed. And I think we need to sit down and really look at these things and examine ourselves to see if we live in a good place for our children.
0: And that is a wonderful ending statement. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Um so with that being said, as Greg said, please, you know, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um again, our emails respectively, uh G Victorin at mbnusa.com, G Victorin at mbnusa.com, and B Wang at mbnusa.com, bwang Wang at mbnusa.com. Uh, mbnusa.com um, and or you can just reach out to us on our twitter or, or instagram accounts with our full names brandon wong and gregory rick Um and that is it for today guys thanks so much for joining in and listening again and we hope to see you in the next episode